how are we? Good? I want to read a passage, Genesis 50, um, and then we're going to pray. And Genesis 50, 20 says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Pretty crazy, amazing scripture. Tonight I want to talk into um, the thought of um, our discouragement being traded for encouragement. Does that sound cool? So let's pray. Lord God, we just want to ask right now um, for your, your Holy Spirit to come and, and guide and direct us. We pray, we pray a lot through a service and that's because we're so dependent upon you and we want to hear from you. We're asking that you'll speak to us, Lord God. You'll shape us and change us. And Lord, through this, all we're asking and through tonight, Lord, that we'll uh, have our eyes refocused on you and we'll leave this place changed for your gospel. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's awesome to come and uh, to speak with you guys. I want to say my welcome to those that are here and on the mezzanine. And then for those that are at home um, as part of our online church, it's really good to have you. Anytime you want to come and join us, you make sure you do that um, as well. But um, one thing that I long for God to do in my life is to continue, and I'll pray this for your own heart as well, is that... God will continue to turn me into a person or grow my faith so it is a defiant, vibrant faith. That's, that's what I long God to, for God to do in my heart. And not just to have a, a vibrant and defiant faith when everything is going good, but to actually do it uh, when everything is stacked against me. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? You know, I mean, someone say, oh, just, you know, exchange your discouragement for encouragement. You know, have a defiant faith. All you need to do is experience life for a while and you realize it's not quite that easy. But what God longs for us to do is he doesn't want us to be pushed to the left and the right with the winds of life, but he actually wants us to do life and weather the storms well. That is what our God is about. And so you might have spent enough time in life to realize that the storms of life will roll in. Have you experienced them yet? You know, I mean, you might have a, a small little storm in your life that comes and goes, and you're like, ah, that was all right. Some of you may have already experienced some very significant storms in your life. Some of you are facing storms and it's like one storm comes followed by the next storm, followed by the next storm, and it can actually leave us feeling really discouraged. It's probably the best word I can put it into. We can be left flat, not knowing what we need to do next. And the problem is with these storms, and this is what I've discovered in my life, is these storms will test your foundations, the foundation that you've built your life on. And this is what takes place, all right? You may have just started off your faith journey. You may have just come to know that Jesus uh, wants to forgive your sins and set you free, and you might have just done that. Or maybe tonight you have a fresh calling on your life. Maybe you finished one season, God has called you into another season, and you're following that calling. Or maybe tonight you are, uh, you've been on the life journey following Christ for a long time. 
and you've been pushing in, you've been giving, you've been just saying, God, I just want to follow the things you want in my life, and you've been pushing into that, but all of a sudden, at some point in your life, and I don't know if you've experienced this yet, but you get railroaded by something. And I don't know what it is for you, but maybe it's for you is you have just had a significant loss in your life. Or maybe for you, it's been a critic you know, someone who's come, at, it's amazing how they come at just the right time when you're exhausted and tired or off the back of a big season when you've just been pouring out. Maybe behind the scenes, your boss doesn't even see you doing it and then a, a piece of criticism comes from someone. Or maybe it's been confusion or you failed at something, closed doors, plans not going the way you want them to be, not seeing answered prayers. I don't know what it is but you will know if you've experienced it, what it does, it actually sucks the passion out of your life. And I found it, it can make you doubt your calling. It can sometimes make you leave your calling. It can actually make you doubt God's promises for your life. I've even found that, I've seen it, where instead of waiting on God, you take it on in your own hands. You know what I mean? I've seen this happen in relationships, people longing for a life partner. You know, and there's like, oh God, I'm sick of waiting. Something good's come, I'm just take hold of it. Maybe it's a job, I don't know what it is for you. I've even seen it where sometimes these storms can get so bad that people walk away from their faith journey. And tonight, this is my prayer for us as a church, all right? My prayer is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will get a fresh revelation of what this life is actually about. Why are we on this, this earth? And tonight, I just don't want us to know God. I want us tonight to know God personally. You know what I mean? I want us to move it from a head to a heart understanding. Does that sound cool? Do you understand what I'm getting at with that? Sometimes we can know, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. But do we actually believe in Jesus. It, it's, it's what Louis Giglio would say, it's a heaven-born confidence. You mean having a defiant faith is having a confidence that comes from heaven. It's not a man-made, manufactured thing. And as I was thinking um, through this, I was reminded of a, pic a particular place I got to visit. Bree and I, um, in 2018, we had the opportunity to go over and, and do the Holy Land. We could have gone different places, but for some reason we thought, well, we don't have kids, we're going to go into some of these cool places and, and experience it. So we, we shot over there, we got to see um, Egypt, we went through Jordan, went through the Sinai Desert, and we went through Israel. An amazing trip. But there was one particular place that stood out for me. Look, actually, there was heaps. But one particularly for me was this place called Caesarea. And there'll be a photo of it. And, and Caesarea is, um, you can go to the ruins of it. You can go there today. And it's actually right on the Mediterranean. Like, it's actually quite beautiful. Like, I would holiday there, me in the ruins. I'd happily just chill out there, you know, swim in the ocean, wear my white linen, feel like I'm, a, I'm part of the Mediterranean. But what I noticed when I walked in there, I'm a pretty visual person, I walked into Caesarea and I couldn't help but be reminded of one person. 
one person who was so familiar with hardships in life, someone who could really relate to what it would be like to have discouragement in their life, and that was the Apostle Paul. See, as I walked into Caesarea, to my left um, was a big amphitheater. To the right was this big concord where, you know, I mean, the horses would do all their, their chariot races. But right in front of me was one of Herod's palaces. You know, Herod had palaces everywhere. But the ruins of it was right there, backing onto the Mediterranean Sea. And I couldn't help but reminded, be reminded about Paul because in Caesarea... The Apostle Paul was jailed, was imprisoned for two years in that actual palace under house arrest. And what it tells us in Acts chapter 21 to 23, it tells us what had happened with Paul is he was in Caesarea. So Paul was just, would just love to go and tell the gospel. You know what I mean? If you said, Paul, what do you want to do today? He'd be like, let's go tell the gospel. And so what he would do is he was in Caesarea and he wanted to go to Jerusalem to keep sharing to the Jews that the Messiah they'd been waiting for had already come. Salvation was ready. And people had told him, Paul, you don't want to go there because that's going to, you know, you're going to cop strife, hardship, prison. But knowing Paul, he just hopped in and he went. In Acts 21, 23, it says, when he got there, he started sharing his faith. It sparked this big, you know, disturbance People hated the fact that he was sharing the gospel. He got assaulted. He got dragged into the barracks where he got held. They ran a conspiracy against him with false accusations and they plotted to kill him. Now, by the grace of God, a commander that was there in those barracks must have had just grace towards him and under the guard of horses at that night took him back to Caesarea and handed him over. And I stood there looking at this palace and thinking, if anyone had the right to complain, if anyone had the right to be discouraged, it's Paul. Paul would have rolled in or rolled back into Caesarea thinking he's going to get this greeting maybe. I'm not sure. But yet he was faced with chains. He was faced with false accusations. He was faced with imprisonment and pending execution. You know, all he wanted to do was tell people about the love of Jesus. You know, Paul sacrificed everything for God. He sacrificed everything for the gospel. And all he wanted to do is get out into the world and tell people about the good news. Instead, he's in jail for an unknown amount of time. Like, put yourself in that situation. Like, do you ever think that? You try to visually put yourself into something. Uh, what would have been your thought? What would be going on in your mind? How would you feel in that moment? You know, you come with the good news. You think, this is, I just want people to hear about this. Yet you have been falsely accused. You have been put in prison. Oh, I don't know what your next conversation with God would have been, but mine wouldn't be that joy-filled. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be having some good words with God, you know? But as I read through Paul's faith journey from the moment he had his conversion experience right through to his, his death, and I read the letters that he wrote to the church, I can't, be, I can't help but see and be challenged by his defiant faith in Jesus. 
You mean, if you want someone that had an example, or if you want an example of someone that could have just packed up shop and had every right to, it was Paul. But instead, Paul, instead of discouragement, instead he was filled with hope, and he actually became a giver of encouragement. You know I mean, it's like it kept spilling out from within him. Like you hear the story of Job. If you're familiar with the story of Job, came under such hardship and his mates, his, his fellow believers were like, mate, just, let's just curse God, get it sorted, get it over and done with. But he's like, no. And this is the kind of defiant faith that, that Paul had. And for me, it was such a reality check. Have you ever had those moments where God just gives you a little bit of a slapping around? You know, I mean, obviously not a God-sized hand one, but just a gentle little tap around and says, John, awaken up, awaken. You know, I mean, it was a sobering conviction as I reflect on his faith. I was reading an article, there's a seminary in um, Birmingham, and this is what the article was talking about. And it talks about this guy called John Bunyan. And this is what it says, in the year of 1675, in Bedford, England, the famous Puritan preacher and writer John Bunyan was arrested for preaching publicly without license. He was jailed for six months. Previously, he'd spent 12 years in prison, during which time he had written many books and pamphlets. So rather than seeing this new imprisonment, this next six months in jail as a great tragedy, he took an optimistic view of it. And he is reported, John Bunyan is reported to have said, I've been away from writing way too long. So maybe this is not so much as prison for me, but, as an, but more so maybe an office for which I can reach the world through Christ's message. Whether these were Bunyan's precise, uh, precise words, his ministry during this short imprisonment is undeniable. And, and he goes on to write Pilgrim's Progress, a, a, a famous book in the English language. But he goes on to say this, now we should all admire someone who accomplishes so much for Christ while in prison. But as significant as John Bunyan's work has proven to be, the Apostle Paul's work accomplished something so much greater. During his four years imprisonment in Caesarea and in Rome, he wrote epistles, in other words, letters, that are far more important than Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. These prison epistles, these are letters to various churches and people that Paul wrote to while he was in prison. Like, for me, that blows my mind. You mean seeing this as an opportunity, and here's Paul in prison. He thinks, well, I'm just going to start writing the letters. I, I remember this year, Having, you know, going to Fraser Island on my break, you know what I mean? I was ready for a break. I was ready to flounder in the ocean. I was ready to fish. I was ready to chill out. But I was faced with four days of heavy rain and strong wind. And I rolled in thinking, you know, this is going to be great. The first day it is pouring. And I was thinking, being thankful, I thought, I'm going to have a positive attitude to this first day. And I'm thanking God. Oh, thank you, God. You know, you always have a plan. You know, maybe I needed this good rest. Second day came, I'm thinking, okay, God, obviously I really needed a rest. Third day came and I began reciting scripture. 
You know, I mean, God, all things work together for those who trust in you. By fourth day, and there was three kids, not including myself, who were stir crazy. There's probably four of us, including me. I'm beginning to think, God, why are you pouring wrath out on me? You know what I mean? Like, this is what I'm starting to feel. But here's Paul in jail. Paul's in prison. And in my writing, or in his writings, nowhere can I see that there's anger. Nowhere can I see this woe is me attitude. Nowhere can I see jealousy for other followers who are at home in their comfy beds. But instead, Paul finds new ways to share the gospel. Ways to encourage the church by these writings that are filled with overflowing joy. A Bible teacher, Stuart Briscoe, he, this is his comments he writes towards this. He says, Paul wrote the Philippian letter from a prison, possibly in Rome or Ephesus or Caesarea. And it's easy for us to overlook the, the, that fact, the fact that he's writing these in prison because the tone of Paul's letter is so positive in the subject matter, so outgoing. Paul talks a lot about joy and rejoicing. Not the, I've got a wonderful feeling, not a everything's going my way kind of joy, but a remarkable joy that he experienced in prison when everything else was going wrong. And then he goes on to write, he says, this is the quality of life that is worth knowing. Don't you reckon that's incredible? This is the quality of life worth knowing that even in prison, you're writing letters full of joy and rejoicing. And then it says, because this is a life worth knowing because we all have our own prisons in one way or another. Things we're dealing with, things we're working with, storms that are battering our life. You know what I mean? Filling us with discouragement. And I don't blame you for feeling that because that's exactly what happens to me. But listen to Paul's defiant faith as he heads to Jerusalem. Before he came back to Caesarea, this is what it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 22 to 24. If you've got your Bibles, have a look. It says this, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know this, that at every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship have faced me. Thanks, Holy Spirit, for that. You know what I mean? I'm going to somewhere to preach the gospel and you just wanted to warn me that prison and hardship are on my way. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Only, my only aim is to what? Finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. What task is that? What is it that he is so focused on? And this is it. It says this, underline it in your Bibles. It says, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Can you imagine that? The Holy Spirit has just prompted you. People have just told Paul. One person even bound his own arms as a bit of an illustration of Paul and just saying, see this? This is what's going to happen to you if you go. But Paul, in Paul's eyes, God's grace and being spiritually set free and then knowing that the good news of, of Jesus will set people free trumps hardship and imprisonment for Paul. He understood that God's purposes were greater than what his own purposes were. 
See, this is Paul's response when people are telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen when they're begging him. He said, Paul answered them in Acts 21 verse 13. It says this, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I be honest with you for a moment? I don't know if I could respond that way. I mean, this is why this stuff's so confronting. Like, you know, like, are you ready to not only be bound, but to die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I don't don't know Paul's full personality or anything like that, and maybe there's different setups that people have in in their life structure, as in their personalities, but I think Paul's meaning this for all of us in a way. What was the fire that raged in Paul's heart? What, what gets him to this point? And I want to tell you this, and this is a really good thing for us to grasp in life, especially a life that throws so much at us, is this. For Paul, Jesus wasn't a side project. It wasn't Paul and Jesus. And Jesus wasn't a, a genie that, that Paul could pull out when he needed something or he was down in his luck. But Paul understood that Jesus was the saviour of his life. Paul knew that Jesus had dealt with the greatest dilemma to ever face mankind. And that dilemma was our eternal death and separation from God because we, because I chose myself to walk away from God. God didn't turn away from me. And Paul knew that he could search the world for success or prominence or fame or fortune or security or health. He knew that he could search that. But unless he had found forgiveness in Jesus and restored a relation and had a restored relationship with the Creator, unless he had come to realize that you can't earn your way to God, but instead you've got to humble yourself and accept the unconditional gift just as you are, nothing else in this life matters. And Paul knew this. How did he know this? Because he experienced it himself. If you've read much about Paul, maybe this is for you, this is the first time you're tuning in with us online. Before Paul had this passion, his passion was to go and rid Christianity. He would hunt down Christians, he'd persecute them, he would kill them. And one day on the road to Damascus, on his way, on his career, God turns up and the Holy, he has a Holy Spirit encounter and his eyes are open And God shows him and what he is doing isn't right. And his heart's broken. But God shows him what grace and mercy is. He sees that God doesn't hate him, but actually God loves him. And that God forgives him. And from that moment, Paul's life is changed forever. He experiences the grace and mercy of God that is so much greater than everything else. And Paul knew that there was only one way to God and that was through Jesus. 
And this is why Paul, he started playing the long game. I played the long game and not the short game. The short game being, what can I get? What about me? You know, how come I'm not receiving? But Paul played this long game, which is, okay, God, wherever you want me to go, I may not see instant results, but wherever you go, I'm going to do the work for your kingdom's purposes. And Paul knew that if Jesus had called him, he would tell people about forgiveness and life in Jesus, not in gods, not in things, not in idols, just Jesus. And this is what set Paul apart because the joy was actually the joy of his salvation he had in Christ. That's what it was. It's not overcomplicated. This is why he wasn't discouraged because his life didn't hang off a hook that was fragile. Instead, he knew there was a future eternal glory. And Paul knew that there was a spiritual battle that rages for men and women. We did a series on that. We know that as a church. And Paul knew that the same power that raised Christ from the dead actually lived within him. And he knew that anywhere and everywhere that God sent him, or wherever he found himself, it was a God-appointed opportunity to leave a God mark in that place. I like to call them God hotspots. Listen to how this defiant faith, this vibrant faith, how this, instead of dwelling in this discouragement, how he drew encouragement, how it impacted lives. In Acts 16, you can turn to Acts 16 with me, is the account of Paul in this place called Philippi. This is taking place before Caesarea, before Jerusalem. This is before that. And Philippi is a former city in present-day Greece. And there's Paul and Silas and Luke, who's writing this account with there. And Paul and his mates are on this second, his second mission trip. And they're going from town to town, telling people about the love of Jesus. Telling them that the Messiah has come. And listen to this account that, that Paul writes. He says, once we were going to a place of prayer... We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of her shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. I always find that interesting because even the spirits know who God is. And she kept this up for many days. And I don't know about you, but if someone was following me around for many days doing that, I'd get sick of it too. And this is what it says. Paul finally became so annoyed. He turned around and said, not to the woman, but to the spirit. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And immediately the spirit left. Have you, have you ever thought about in this story why, why Paul didn't do that straight away? I remember thinking that many times. I'm like, why didn't Paul just sort that one out and keep going? Because Paul would have known how this stuff works. He would have known the very moment that he did a miraculous act like that, everything would have broken loose. He would have known that the hardships and prison would have been coming. And so, and I can't be sure of this, but I could imagine they're like, let's just keep a low profile, let's go in and let's start finding people. Let's start loving people. Let's go and start telling people about the love of Jesus because there's a lot of people who don't like what we're doing. 
before only he gets to a point, he's like, Silas, we can't take this anymore. We're going to have to end this one. And you know what's coming up. We're probably off to the clinker. He's like, oh, well, let's do it. Bang. And this is what takes place in verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And this is what happened. The crowds joined in and attacked Paul and Silas. And then the magistrates, they come out and they order. said, what I want you to do is I want you to strip these men. And I want you to get rods. And I want you to beat these men. And it says in verse 23 that they weren't just beaten or flogged, they were severely flogged. And after that, they were thrown into prison. Then after that, the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he he put them not just in a cell, but he put them in the inner cell. And then he fastened their feet in stocks. I don't know about you, but well and truly before this, I probably would have been like, oh, I might just hop back on that ship and sail home. And at this point, Paul and Silas, they had every right to probably be yelling at God saying, what are you doing? Like we've been accused, we've been flogged. And here we are in this black, filthy, dark cell. We're chained. We haven't had medical help. Things aren't feeling so good in our body. But this isn't the case. And what we need to see tonight is this. Our God always has the last say. In your storm that you might be in, in your moment of complete discouragement, you need to know tonight that as you're facing that, our God always has the final say. And Paul knew that his God was always faithful, that God would always be glorified. And what took place was in them enduring the storm, they saw a beautiful harvest. See, read with me in verse 25. This is where things get good. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And get this, underline this, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I mean, I don't know the conversations Paul and Silas would have been having. to be like, Paul, you're there. You know what I mean? Is your, is your feet... You know, can you actually feel your feet? Because I can't feel mine at the moment. Boy, that was tough, what we went through. Paul, Silas, I don't know what they're going to do to us next. But then I can imagine them beginning to say, David, Silas, how cool is it when, you know, we told that demon to get out and to see that girl being freed and the change in her life. And you're like, yeah. And, and Paul, how good was it when you started preaching to those women? And then there was that rich businesswoman called Lydia. And she heard the gospel and she understood it and she came to faith. And then she went and grabbed all her friends and we all went back to their place and we kept sharing the gospel. How good was that? Like, it was awesome. I don't know about you, Paul, but I feel a bit of a song coming on. I reckon, I reckon we should thank God because we might be here in chains, but the gospel's gone ahead. It's like my rib, 
probably is not in its right place, but that's okay. The Spirit's alive. He said, yeah, how about we pray as well? And so they did this. They began praying and singing and the other prisoners, they were listening. And I just, as I read this next part, I can't help but see how God is always faithful. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake, the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and then listen to this, and everyone's chains came loose. It says in verse 27 that the jailer woke up still in the dark and when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had run off, which that would have been me. I would have been like, I'm out of here. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights. They would have run in with their torches and, and lit the lights. And it says that the jailer rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And so they went off and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in, this, in his house. And at that hour of that night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and then immediately he and his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because what? Because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. How often do we allow the discouragement to maybe rob us of something, an amazing, glorious harvest that God wants to do in our lives? You know, what was their midnight storm became another person's salvation story. And not just one, not just the jailers and not just the family tree of the jailer. But I don't know if you realise, but this guy who is the jailer would have become one of the very first converts in this church, in this place. And Lydia would have been one of the very first converts and we know that a church was birthed. Little did they know when they were singing and praying, praising God in their storm that there were prisoners and guards being spiritually awoken. This is the God we serve. I can't help but think that they, they just knew God in a real personal, deep way. And they knew that in whatever situation they were in, God was always going to work. And I just can't help but think, and I don't want to read into things, but when I, I read that part, it says, and all of the chains fell off. It makes me think, don't ever underestimate the Spirit's power when people come and sing and pray together. I believe it begins to crush strongholds on people around us. And this is what I want to say. For, this is what I want us to take away tonight. And I'm going to get the band to come out and join me. That tonight your imprisonment, I don't know what that is for you. Obviously it's not a physical imprisonment but your storm or maybe something you're dealing with or something you're working through or something you're processing, I don't know what it is for you watching online. But your imprisonment, your chains, your critics, 
your roadblocks, the closed doors, the false accusations, the unfair dismissal, your failing health, your poverty, your uncertainty of the future, your so-called missed opportunities shouldn't be our discouragements, but instead we should be filled with encouragement as we understand that in every situation we are in, God has an audience gathered to hear the good news from our very lips. Have you ever thought about that? I'm not saying this is easy. I'll be the first to put up my hand and say, oh man, how did Paul do this? But God wants to use us. And I'm not saying mourning is a bad thing. Mourning is a healthy thing to do. But at some point, it's got to give way to joy. And it gives way to joy when we're understanding that our true calling is to love God and love others and to go and tell people about the kingdom of God that they can be set free. See, Paul might have been physically chained He might've been saying, I'm physically chained, but I'm spiritually set free. I might have my feet in stocks, but the spirit doesn't. The government and emperor might be trying to stop the spread of the gospel, but our God is greater than the government and its powers. Paul would have been saying, he's all powerful. He's all faithful, always good. His love never ceases. He's overpowered the cross and he's won the grave. He stamps his authority over the spiritual authorities and rulers of this earth. And then at the name of Jesus, this is what Paul would have been saying, at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth, they're gonna bow to God. And I was reminded by something that Louis Giglio says. He goes, in our story, We all have a jailer that is sitting there off to the side needing to hear the gospel. And tonight you might be in that place. Maybe you'll be in the future. I don't don't know. But what Paul wants to remind us tonight is our hope isn't in our circumstances in life. Our hope is in eternal glory. Our hope is that we've been saved by the grace of Jesus. We've been saved from the spiritual authorities and won into His kingdom. We're now children of God, adopted into His family. The same same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within us. He's saying, now go tell people. You know, I see you, you, you sing and you dance, you raise your hands because there's no change on us. Now go and tell other people that they can have this. And this is what God says to me. In those moments, doesn't matter if the ups or the downs, guess what? God's always got a purpose. And you may not see the harvest until the end of the storm, but he's saying, don't be discouraged, but be encouraged because when God's at work, lives are changed. We need to keep praying this, praying for the Holy Spirit to keep changing us, sharpening us. Life's not something that, I love having a farm, but when it comes to spiritual things, it's not something for us to play around with. And so I'm gonna get everyone to stand.
and I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking to us tonight and he, he wants to change this and maybe there's areas in life we need to surrender. Maybe this thing is say, God, I don't have the strength to do it. And he's like, that's okay. Let me be the strength to help you do that. Maybe for you, and I think, I don't know, maybe it was Twig that mentioned it, or I can't remember which one it was, but anyway, maybe there's something holding you back from coming to Jesus, you know. I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit's prompting that at the moment. And tonight's the night you've got to just drop the guards and you just got to say, okay, God, I'm in. And just like Paul and Silas, as they're in that prison, with everything stacked against them, Instead of wallowing, they began in their, I'm sure, agony and pain and confusion, they began to sing the praises. They began to sing the promises of God. And we're going to do that. I'm going to get the team even just to lead us in this tag right now. This is God, you reign, you reign above it all. I mean, God, I don't understand what's going on, but you don't need to because He does. And maybe we just do this at the start. We just spend the time of, we're just going to sing. I mean, if you've got chains on you, if you're in the cell at the moment, if you're in a storm, I'm just going to invite us as a church to raise our hands. And sometimes you might not even have the voice to sing it, but the believers around you, they're going to raise their voice to sing the promises over you. So can we do that even just right now? Then I'm going to pray. And then we're going to respond if you want prayer. And then we're going to sing the rest of this song. Come on, can we do that, Ben? You ain't above it all. You ain't above it all. Over the universe and over every heart, there is no higher day. Jesus, you You hear those that that praise, Lord, that raises up, and some people tonight in some really heavy moments, maybe online, maybe here in this auditorium. But Lord, you've heard those prayers, you've heard that those songs of faith, Lord, saying, God, even even while I'm in the dirt at the moment, I know that you reign above it all, Lord. Even if this this world, this earth that I'm on, Lord, I don't get anything. I know that my glory is found in in heaven. And so, Lord, I just want to pray right now that your Holy Spirit will come, strengthen feeble bones, Lord. Strengthen us as a church. I pray we won't be a church that shies away, but, Lord, steps out for the sake of those that need to hear the gospel, Lord. Lord, may we not be discouraged, but full of encouragement. May we be an encouraging people as we point each other to the gospel. That's what Paul was saying. He said, keep in your faith. Keep pressing on. Don't look to the left or right. Don't listen to the smart talkers, the false uh, sermons that are coming through. But look at Christ because that's where you'll find hope. And so, Lord, I pray that. I pray that in this song right now as we sing. Lord, for those that need to come to you for the first time, may they come down the front and meet one of the pastors. For those that want to kneel, 
they'll kneel. For those who want to raise hands, or raise hands. For those that need to just sit in your presence. Will they sit in your presence? But all this. Father, I'm just conscious as we sing these words. I, I, I'm convinced. I don't know. I'm just convinced that there's some, maybe many, that in this room right now are just going through some stuff that's tough. It's really hard. And those words are powerful because I'm reminded of the boat when the wind and the waves come crashing in and that's what it feels like for them. I think in this moment, if that's you, I just sense uh, to do something and uh, I don't want to embarrass you or anything like that, but if you're going through something, it doesn't matter how big or small, but if you're just going through something in this moment, just need a special touch of God, just a special prayer over your heart and in your life. I'm just going to invite you in this moment here in this auditorium just to take a seat, to sit down. Everyone stay standing. But if there's just something, it just it doesn't matter how big or small, it could be something small, but I want to just invite you in this moment just to sit. I'll give you a few more moments just to take a seat. You know what it is. No one else needs to know but to grab a seat something on your heart, something's going on in your life, you don't know how to go through it, but it's just, there's just something there and you need prayer. I want you to sit. A few more others, just last opportunity. Now, out of an act of encouragement, for those of you that are standing, if there's someone near you that is sitting, I want you to stretch out a hand. We can't lay hands on it at the moment, but to stretch out a hand to that person. Those of you who are sitting, there's a family around you right now with arms stretched out out of love and encouragement and support in this moment, declaring our love and support over you. And we're gonna pray for you right now. Father God, you see those that are sitting and we don't know the full circumstances. We have no idea, but what I do know is that you know. You know everything that they're going through. You know everything that's come against them. You know everything that's going on in their heart. And in this moment, they sit because they say, God, I need You. I need You to break in in this situation. I need You in these circumstances. Where are You, God? And we stand together with them right now with hands stretched out towards them and say, Almighty God, come in power, Jesus. Come, Father God, bring encouragement, touch their hearts in a way. May they know Your nearness and Your love, great God. Oh Lord, we cry out to You in this moment. We intercede on their behalf and we say, Holy Spirit, come, please come, great God. We plead with You. We know You can. We know You're all powerful. We know You're mighty. We know You can break in. And we ask, oh God, for You to do that now. We ask, oh God, for You to bring an encouragement to their heart, Lord Jesus, we pray. This is what family's about. This is what it's about. And so we don't know the circumstances, but we just pray in Jesus' mighty Name to bring breakthrough. We just pray for an encouragement. We just pray that they might see the light of the tunnel. We just pray, Father God, if for whatever it is, whatever it might be, we just pray that they'd be able to keep persevering, keep moving forward, keep seeking You and know in their heart, okay, I don't understand the circumstances here, but I've just got to trust that God is doing something, that this isn't for nothing, that God is at work, even though I don't understand it. And so we stand with them in this moment. We just pray, Almighty God, break in, do something, encourage them tonight. In Jesus' mighty Name we pray. 
And God, I just think it's right in this moment, just one more time, just one more time to declare that song over us in this moment, over those that are struggling. If you've been sitting, feel free to stand in this moment. But God, we just wanna sing that one more time that You're over it all. You're over every circumstance. You're over every situation. Out of faith, we declare that now, Almighty God. Thank You, God. Lord, we don't always understand it or know what's going on, but we just gotta trust sometimes that You do reign above it all, great God. And I thank You again for the opportunity for us to gather, to encourage one another, to encourage one another, pray and spur one another on. We thank You, Father God, that You're not done with us yet. The fact that we're still breathing is a reminder now that as we go and we leave and we go back to our work, our neighbourhoods, our schools, our universities, whatever it might be, that You wanna use us. And it may be the very struggle that we're going through now that may be the very place in which You wanna use us to impact the lives around us. So we declare, we thank You. We declare, we thank You and we honour You and we just trust that You are doing a work, Almighty God. So Lord, again, we love You so much. We worship and honour You. Use us this week. We surrender our hearts to You afresh and we just pray these things in Jesus' mighty and precious Name. Amen, amen. God bless you so much. I really mean that. If you want prayer, we would love to pray for you. Please don't leave without getting prayer. Uh, But God bless you. Have an awesome week. Whatever you're doing this week, may God use you. And uh, so good to have you online as well. Have an awesome week. We'll see you soon.